John chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 24. It says this, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. In the verses before this, Jesus had appeared to the others, but Thomas wasn't there. And I'm thankful today that we serve a God who, even though sometimes in life, because of our doubts and our fears and our concerns and what we're experiencing, sometimes we can miss God. But he doesn't hold that against us. Are you thankful for a God who comes back around again and gives us another chance? So the other disciples who had seen him said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This is how God wants it to be for you. He doesn't want to be somebody else's Lord, somebody else's God. He wants to be your Lord and your God. I don't want other people to, I love that you have experienced God. I love that you have felt God. I love that he's been good to you, but I want to taste and see for myself the goodness of the Lord. So Father, in Jesus' name, help us today. We want to receive your word with gladness. We believe that there's power in your word, enough power to change our lives today. We don't, we don't have to leave this place the same way we came in this place. So help us to reach out in faith and grab a hold of this word and run with it in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. I wanna to talk to you from this subject, I'm wounded but I'm still alive. Wounded but still alive. This story has always fascinated me because it's amazing to me that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has this resurrection life flowing through his body. So much so that his body looks different. People aren't recognizing him. Even when they see him, they're kept from being able to recognize him. And the only way they really start to discern that it is him is when he shows them his wounds. When he appears to the disciples, they're actually afraid so much so that he has to say, hey, peace. <laughs> peace be still. It's okay. Peace to your heart. Comfort to you. It's me. And he puts his hands out and he shows them the wound in his side and they realize, oh, it's Jesus. And so he's recognized not by his glorified body, not by the glow that is around him. He's not even recognized, but now he's maybe even just got a crown on his head or his face looks different or he's shining. No, he's really recognized by his wounds. They can, they can tell because they, they, they know what a crucifixion looks like. They know where the nails go. They know where the spear goes into the side. And it amazes me because I think what Jesus is doing is he's telling us a story, not just about himself and not just about the disciples, but he's telling us that all of us in this room, we can have resurrection life flowing through our bodies. And we do if we're a believer in Jesus. The Bible says that the same spirit the raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you and is bringing life to your mortal bodies. So you have resurrection life inside of you. You can have resurrection life and at the same time you can have marks and wounds that are reminders of your past all over you. And I believe that Jesus kept his wounds not only to prove to the disciples that it was him, but I believe Jesus kept his wounds 
because he wanted to let them know and he wanted to let us know that the worst possible thing that could happen to you is not the last thing that will happen to you. And I came to tell somebody that's maybe in the middle of the worst thing you have ever experienced that this is not the last thing. That for the believer, resurrection is promised. Even if it's not in this life that you experience it, death isn't even the last thing that is going to happen to you. For he is the resurrection and the life, and he who has gone before us and has risen from the dead shall also resurrect us, and we will be with him. So I came to tell you today that the worst thing that you've ever experienced is not the last thing you will ever experience. And these disciples, because they knew this to be true, because they had seen the wounds, the Bible says that all of them suffered greatly, losing even their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it's because they saw the wounds of Jesus and they realized that even death wouldn't be the last thing. So they were willing to give their lives because they understood this principle that the worst thing is not the last thing. (laughs) See, grace in our lives is actually proven By the fire we walked through, not a fire we didn't feel, not a fire we avoided. There's no such thing as a grace that avoids trouble. We have a shepherd who doesn't take us around the problems. The Bible says in Psalm that he's taken us straight through. Psalm 23 says that we go straight through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we walk through, that's the reminder, that's the reminder that says, hey, you've got actually the grace of God is on your life. I don't have the grace on my life because I don't go through trouble. I have grace on my life because I have gone through trouble and I have survived. There's a lot of stuff that happened in your life that could have kept you out of this building this morning, but it didn't. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been touched by difficulty and trauma and struggle, but you are here right now. And because you are here right now, it's not just proof that you got hurt. It's proof that God is healing you and restoring you. And he wants those scars and those wounds to tell a different story. Can somebody in the room give God some praise today that my wounds don't just speak of my pain. But they talk about the goodness of God at the same time because what should have killed me didn't. See, the marks on Jesus don't just represent our pain, but our healing. And the resurrected Christ will forever be the marked Christ. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 and 5, he says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And every one of those wounds that Jesus took for us, when we worship him for all of eternity, we will see those wounds before us. The wounded Christ is the Christ that we will worship. We will not worship a high priest who doesn't feel what we feel, know what we know. We don't worship a high priest who is disconnected from our trouble. But when we worship him in heaven, Revelation 5 and 6, John had a revelation of the throne room. And he said, I saw the throne and I saw all of the animals. And what I saw in the throne room was what looked like a lamb that had been slaughtered but it was standing tall. So for the rest of eternity, we will not worship a savior who is void of his wounds. We will worship a savior who is showing his wounds proudly because not only do they represent his crucifixion, they represent his resurrection. 
And God wants to use what you've gone through. He wants you to be able to tell a different story about it. So that for the rest of your life, when you look back at it, you, yes, you see the pain. But you don't just see your pain. You see how God began to restore you and heal you and turn your life around. Somebody said this. I thought it was powerful. They said, even when they're trying to express Jesus in sign language, what do they do? They don't do a crown like LeBron, even though Jordan is the king. No, Jesus is the king. Jordan's second right there somewhere. Um, but uh, the image they use is not a crown. They go. They point to the pierced hands of Christ. Whew. Oh, I love being called uncle. That's cool. <laughs> I will take that all day. Drop that pastor. Give me uncle. That's it. So in the same way that Jesus carries these wounds, we carry wounds, but not all of our wounds and scars and marks are physical. Many of them, I would say most of them, are, are mental. And some of them are spiritual. Spiritual wounds can be some of the most painful wounds that you ever have. Because when your spirit is wounded, it's very hard for you to even stand up to what life throws at you. This is what was written in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 14 says that the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. In other words, the Bible's saying there that even if you're sick, if you have a strong spirit, you're gonna be all right. You ever met somebody who got a diagnosis and you're like, how are you so happy? How are you so full of joy? Like nothing like that is going on in my life and I can't even stand up to get to work sometimes. And you're facing a diagnosis that says you have this long to live, but you're still full of joy. They got a strong spirit. If you have a strong spirit, you can stand up to anything that life throws at you. But if you have a wounded spirit, he says, you can't handle it. So no wonder we want to quit, even when things are going well. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where things are good? You can't actually point to anything wrong, but something just feels wrong. That's a wounded spirit. But in the same way that our spirit can be wounded and our body can be wounded and our minds can be wounded, they can also be made whole by the God that we serve because he is more than able to do it. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says this, Paul says now, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, he says, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This verse starts to make a lot more sense as you get older. And did you know I'm a grandpa? And as you become a, as you become a grandfather, you, your hairline starts to get a little higher and your waistline starts to get a little bigger and your body feels like it's really seriously going down into the grave because that's what's happening. Gravity is taking hold. <laughs> and your body feels like it's wasting away, but man, I feel as youthful, as excited in my spirit as I have ever been. It's wild when you have a scar on your, on your body because when you look at it, it reminds you of what you went through. Every scar tells a story. I have a few scars. I have a scar on my face. And it reminds me that I should have worn a lot more sunscreen when I was younger. <laughs> they had to cut out some stuff in my face that was not good for me. So I got a scar right here on my cheek. I've got a scar on my tongue. 
When I was a kid, I wanted to do everything like, I wanted to be like Mike. And I did everything like Mike. And so when I watched Mike, what Mike did when he was playing basketball is Mike stuck his tongue out. So I was trying to, everything I did, I was trying to be cool. Try to stick my tongue. So I was riding a bike one time. I was jumping ramps. And I'm jumping this ramp and I'm posing for my friends. Like, right? But I forgot to stick my tongue back in my mouth when I landed. And I bit through my tongue. My teeth touched. My tongue is hanging out of my mouth. Sorry to do this to you. It's disgusting. My tongue is hanging out of my mouth. They take me to the ER. They sew my tongue back together. And I've got a pretty gnarly scar on my tongue. I'm not going to show it to you, but every now and then when I want to freak my kids out, I show them. And I love to tell that story. It's a reminder that, yeah, my tongue got chopped off basically, but look, look at God. <laughs> right? It's still there. And Monica says it works. Um, that's my wife, by the way. Anyhow, that's, I can't, just messed the whole thing up. I was doing really good. I was doing really good, but you got, <laughs> but you, okay, 20 minutes, all right, but it's wild how, because we, we, we are sense, we are sensory people, <laughs> that's so terrible, we are sensory people, <laughs> it's wild how sights and sounds and smells can remind us in the same way a scar reminds us of something we have experienced. We can see something and it's a reminder. Hear something and it's a reminder. Smell something and it's a reminder. As a matter of fact, smell is actually the strongest sense linked to memory. Because in all of your other senses, whether it's sight or hearing or touching or tasting something, that sensory information has to go through a relay process. But when you smell something, it goes straight to your memory. And so no wonder sometimes you smell something and you immediately remember something. Oh, that reminds me of my grandma's house. So that reminds me of, and, and my wife, I know this to be true because my wife, the most uh, emotional reaction that I've seen in her is related to smell. When she was younger, she had a house that burnt down. And so there's been about four or five times in our marriage where she's woken up in the middle of the night, either dreaming about the house being on fire or thinking she was smelling smoke. And she, without even thinking, she jumps up out of the bed and she's running through the house looking for fire. Because that sense of smell is such a strong, it leads to such a strong reaction in our memory. And I want to show you something and this is so powerful, and I gotta admit, I didn't come up with this. I heard this recently, and I thought, man, this just applies so well to this message because what God wants to do with what we've gone through and how he wants to redefine it. But let me tell you this little story about Peter that's so powerful. In John chapter 18, the Bible says that Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him, and here we find Peter around this fire in John chapter 18. Peter has followed Jesus, made big <laughs> confessions about Jesus, Chopped off an ear for Jesus. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. No, there's no way I'll deny you. Jesus gets taken into custody, and Peter finds himself around this fire. And this is what the Bible says in John chapter 18, verse 18. It says, now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And it was around this fire of charcoal with these coals that Peter, the Bible tells us, he denies Jesus three times. 
Well, Jesus has gone to the cross. He has risen from the dead. He's making appearances. And in one of his appearances to the disciples, they are out fishing. And they aren't catching anything. It's interesting to me that the times you see these guys fishing, they're not catching anything. They must have been terrible fishermen. <laughs> so Jesus sees them and he says, hey, dear friends, have ye any fish? And they're like, no, man, we've been fishing all night. He gives them instruction. They start to catch this great number of fish. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. And when he gets to the shore, this is what he runs into. The Bible says in John 21, 9, it says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Think about this and think about the sense of smell. The last time Peter has been around a fire of coals, he denied Jesus three times. And here we find Jesus setting up this whole situation, building this fire, not to rub Peter's face in his mistake. Can you imagine being Peter and getting to shore and like, oh, seriously, charcoal fire? <laughs> and the emotional response that comes with that, like a trigger, like, oh, I, 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 this, this is the same thing that happened when I denied him, can you imagine Jesus knowing what he's getting ready to do? Just like, oh, man, he has no idea. Peter's there in his shame, and he's, that smell is reminding him of his failure. And then Jesus sits down, and he has a conversation with Peter, and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times, and he restores him, and he says, feed my sheep. I want you to, I want you to preach for me. I want you to tell the world about me. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking something that made him remember his worst failure and he's creating a new memory around the fire. This is so good because he didn't want Peter for the rest of his life to every time he smelled smoke, every time he smelled charcoal, he was reminded of his greatest mistake. He wanted Peter to, when he smelled the fire, not just be reminded of his greatest mistake, but be reminded of the day Jesus restored him in relationship. Come on, is there anybody in the room that's been restored around a fire? Come on, the thing that should have ended you and took you out and discouraged you and, and ruined your life, God has redefined it into something different. And now those scars don't just speak of your pain, but they speak of your healing and your restoration. Is anybody grateful for a God who doesn't leave me with that stench in my nose that reminds me of what I've done, but he cleanses me and purifies me so I see fire? Different for the rest of my life. He created a new behavior around the fire, and if you're not careful... If you're not careful, you won't create new behaviors around the fire and you'll assume that every fire is like that fire. And you'll come into a new fire and you'll treat the new fire like the old fire. You'll come into a new church and you'll treat the new church like the old church. But can I tell you, this is not that. He is not him. This is something new, and God wants you to bring a new perspective and a new mindset to it. He wants you to rearrange how you see the fire. Hmm. There's a term for this in Romans. He says in Romans 12 and 2, he says, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's so wild how science just constantly confirms Scripture. 
There's a scientific word that they use to talk about renewal of the mind. It's called neuroplasticity. It's the ability of the nervous system and the brain to create new pathways. See, when you think a thought and you continue to think that thought, you're creating a pathway in the brain. It's like a person who's going into a jungle and they're creating a new pathway. But every time you go through that pathway, it gets clearer and clearer and easier and easier. And if you're not careful, you will get trapped in patterns of thinking. And you will bring old patterns of thinking into new situations. And you will ruin the current situation that's nothing like the old situation because you haven't changed the way you see it. You haven't rearranged how you see the fire. And I just came to tell you that God wants to do something special and unique in your life, but it requires us to let him rearrange our life around the fire. The renewed mind. You know, what's wild is on a spiritual level, we all have a tendency to wander through our past, to obsess over what they did, what happened to us, maybe even what we did. And because of that, we get trapped because we cannot encounter God back there. I cannot even encounter God in my future. The only place I can encounter God is right now. And no wonder the enemy wants to distract us with the shame of our past because it keeps us from living in this moment and encountering a God who is here and ever-present help in time of trouble. So I need to be in this moment because if I'm not in this moment, I'll miss what God wants to do. And so let me, let me just give you some ideas, some ways to reorient how you see the fire. First thought is this, Psalm 46 and 10, the psalmist writes and he says, Be still and know that I am God. To heal, you must be still. None of us want to be still, though. None of us want to be still. Especially when we get hurt or wounded or something happens to us, our first reaction is to punch back. And I understand that if you're defending yourself, I'm not telling you not to defend yourself, but what I am saying to you is that very often your first reaction is not the best reaction. And sometimes instead of throwing a punch or saying what you feel, sometimes you just need to sit down and let God fight for you. Because every time you begin to open your mouth, I say it like this, an open mouth is an open wound. And sometimes until you close your mouth, the wound cannot close. And some of you were on your way to healing, but you jumped up too quickly and you opened a wound that had been sewed together on its way to healing, bandaged, but you took off too soon. I'll never forget, years ago I heard somebody talk about Jesus on the cross and one of the ways that they checked to see if Jesus was dead was they pierced him in his side. Because if they pierce his side and he reacts, he's not dead yet. And they said, for some of you, You're not living the crucified life 
Because every time they poke you, you react. For some of us, our issue is we're not dead yet. We're like the guy at the end of the movie who just refuses to die. You ever watch the movie and you're just like, just die already. And I think God sometimes is looking down at us and just saying, just die already. Stop fighting this fight. Be still and know that I am. I am God. In Ephesians, when the Bible talks about the armor of the Lord, it's describing the armor of the Lord. Breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, feet covered, waist covered. Everything's covered on the front. There's no mention of any armor on the back. But God, most of the time they talk about me. It's behind my back. God, most of the time when I get stabbed, it's not in the front. It's in the back. Why in the world would you not put some armor on my back? Because God says, I've got your back. Isaiah 58 and 8 says, the Lord himself will be your rear guard. And every time you turn to your past, you're doing God's job. God doesn't want you to look backwards. He wants you to press forward. Because what's ahead of you, what's in front of you, is better than anything that's back there. There's nothing back there for you. So the psalmist put it this way. He said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't have to turn around and take care of it because goodness and mercy are back there taking care of it for me. God's got the people who stabbed me in the back. Let God deal with the people who talk about me behind my back. And our issue is this, though. God doesn't deal with people the way we want him to. I mean, be honest. Come on, somebody be honest. Like if you had your way, they might not even exist. But God doesn't deal with your enemies that way. Why? Because number one, God loves your enemies. He wants you to love them. And number two, God doesn't win people over by taking them out. Hosea said it this way. He said, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So often we read that verse and we take it personal, and it is. But the reality is, is it's more than that. It's the goodness of God that leads me to repentance very often, yes. But sometimes it's God being good to me that leads somebody else who wants to do me harm to repent. Because they look at how blessed I am and they can't, they can't help but say, man, alive. The God who's blessing them, if he's blessing them, he can bless me. So the psalmist put it this way in Psalm 23 and 6. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So this is how God vindicates you. He lets your enemies live to see you blessed. <laughs> Go ahead, God. Go ahead, God, let them live. I don't need them to die. Let them watch me eat. Let them watch me eat. Let them watch as you bless me, as you pour favor out on my life. Stuff I don't deserve, stuff I could never earn. Let them watch me eat. And when they see me eat, they'll see a good God. And then he goes, he goes, 
he goes, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemy. Then he goes, my, he anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I get asked this all the time. Robbie, what are you going to do about what they said? Some reason somebody always got to let me know when somebody writes a bad review about me. I think it's amazing we review a church like we can review a restaurant, right? Worship, check. Preaching, check. Parking lot, boo. You know, air conditioning, not so great. You know, like, what are you going to do? People have come to me over the years. Hey, so-and-so said this about you. This guy, this, this other pastor, this church, they've been talking about it. What are you going to do? I'm not going to do anything. Well, why aren't you going to say anything? Why aren't you going to? I'm going to let the oil talk. <laughs> he said, he anoints my head with oil. I'm going to let the anointing speak for me. I'm going to let every life that has been transformed by my ministry talk for me. I'm gonna let every person that's been impacted by my scars tell the story. I'm gonna let my anointing talk. And I'm gonna let the cup that's overflowing in my life talk. I'm gonna let my eight week old grandson tell the story. <laughs> God has been good to me. I wonder if anybody wants to stand on your feet this morning and just let the devil know God has been good to me. I don't even have to react to you anymore because there's an anointing on my life and I've got a cup that's running over and I'm going to let the oil and I'm going to let the cup go ahead and do all the talking. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Why? Because he's not done with me yet. There's so much more to the story. <laughs> if you're not careful, you don't live this way. If you don't let God take your back, then you'll let bitterness get in your wounds. Hebrews 12 and 15, the writer says, don't let bitterness get in and defile many. Your bitterness is not just affecting you, it's leaking onto somebody else. And sometimes your life is falling apart because you're next to somebody that's leaking. And somebody's life is messed up next to you because you're leaking. A lot of times we do what Jonah did to those poor people on that boat. We get on that boat and a storm comes because God's trying to get our attention and other people are affected. funny is even even when a snake bites you it's not the bite that kills you it's the poison that is left in you long after their mouth is off of you it's not what they said it's not what they did and it was terrible and it was wrong it was unjust but none of those things can take you out. The only thing that can take you out is if you allow the bitterness in. 
Bitterness is not inerrant, inherent with offense. Somebody said this to me years ago. They said, I was mad, I was complaining about something. They said, what's the matter with you? And he said, well, they said this and I just, I took offense. And they looked at me and they said, that's your problem. You took offense. Offense is not given, it's taken. And you are taking stuff you don't have to take. So every time you are wounded and the devil says, you should be offended. You need to look him in the eye and say, I don't have to take that. His little ugly snake eyes. I don't have to take the offense. I can't do anything about what they said, what they did. I can't go in the past and undo Peter. I can't go and undo your betrayal. But I can create a new memory around the fire. And I came to tell some people who have some bad memories. If you'll let God, he can redeem the worst things that have ever happened to you. And they don't have to be the last thing that happened to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I love you.